Welcome to Round Trip Death, the place where we give voice to people who have experienced death, seen the other side, and return to talk about it. A place for answers to some of life's greatest questions, and a place with questions you may never have even thought of. This podcast is still fairly new and it's growing incredibly fast. For that, I just want to give a huge thank you to all of our listeners around the world. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button, share it with your friends, and write a review on your favorite podcasting app. Hey, we have here with us this morning, Jennifer Dean. Jen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. It is a beautiful day here in the mountains of Utah. Hey, before we get into your NDE, tell us just a little bit about you. Um, So I am a pediatric home health nurse. I am the mother of a five-year-old, my son, Declan. That's mainly what I am. I'm a mother first, and then I'm a nurse, and I am a Reiki master teacher. So I'm a Reiki nurse. So I incorporate Reiki into my nursing practice, and um, that's pretty much it. I'm I'm pretty down-to-earth and normal like everyone else. (laughs) And a five-year-old can take all of your time and oh yeah, absolutely yes. yes. And he's got he's got some big energy with him. So he's but he's amazing. I mean, it's amazing being a mother. So that's that's um, even something I didn't know if I'd ever get to. So it really is like living in a dream, even if it's hard because it's hard. It's just. That's life. You know, it's, it's hard to raise a kid, but it's just to see them grow. It's amazing. It really is. It is. I always found it so amazing too, that they came here with their own personalities already built in. I thought we sort of molded our children. And, and I, when our, when our second baby was born, she was so different personality from day one, from the first one that this big light went mm-hmm. off going, you know what? Old soul. They, yeah. Yep. Your soul's been around a while and you've developed a personality and yes. now you're here. Yeah. It's made, that's my son too. Like from day one, you know, you look into their eyes and you see there's so much light in there. Like you can tell it's an old soul. And then even in pregnancy, I felt like it was an old soul coming in. Like I, I, had an experience with that, like with him, even before I got pregnant. So I knew he was an old soul, but he proves that day after day. And it's amazing, amazing to watch him grow, you know, when it's like they kind of already know what to do and you can watch them just know what to do. Like they just pick everything up like that. So it's it's crazy to, to watch them grow pretty much. <laughs> Would you mind, I, I hope this isn't too far off the subject, but would you mind sharing with us the experience that you had with him before he was born? Sure. So I I had always known I was going to get to him. Um, and I never gave up on that idea, you know. Um, and when I speak about my near-death experience, you'll know, like, I'm a cancer survivor. So it wasn't known if I would ever get to him because I didn't know if I was infertile and I'm, I was having a hard time getting pregnant. And then I started to just like feel pregnant and I was like, okay, but I'm not pregnant. Like I knew I wasn't, but I'm like, he must be trying to come to me. 
And I had a family member go to a psychic who said, you're going to have a son. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But then when I started to feel this and I was getting these signs and synchronicities, and then I had a, a spiritual experience, I would say a, a like a, a spiritually transformative event, maybe like an STE, but it was like, um, I had an angel come to me and hug me. And then it was, it was a passed on loved one that came to me and it was for closure because I was just distraught over the loss. And after that, I like just knew how to get to my son, like holistically. So meditation, um, connecting with the earth, um, just visualizations, um, just really getting my mind and body to work together on this. And within two months, I was pregnant like that. So, but during that time, I had been going to the, a doctor who, um, like I have rheumatoid arthritis, so they treat that with chemotherapy medication. And you can't take that and be pregnant because it destroys quickly growing cells, which that sort of, you know, fetus is. It's, it's growing or an embryo. So, um I just didn't feel right in my heart about taking that med. I was like, I just don't, I don't, I stopped taking it for a while because I wanted to get pregnant, but the doctor was like, start taking it again. And I was like, no, nah, I don't know. I, I don't feel right about that. And sure enough, had I been on that med, when I conceived, it would have been a disaster. Like I would have lost him or it, it just, and at that time in my life, I was just grieving so heavily. I don't know if I could have would have been able to handle that. So it was like, almost like my intuition was like screaming at me to stay on track with my dreams of becoming a mother. Cause that's all I ever wanted. And um, yeah, once I followed my intuition completely, I just surrendered to it within two months pregnant like that. And it was like, we'd been trying for like seven years. So it really was, um, that was a major thing that happens to me in my life um, besides my NDE. But like after the NDE in childhood, I always have these synchronicities or these spiritual things happen to me. I don't really talk about them because I don't know. I feel like they're for me to figure out, not for somebody on the outside to tell me what it is necessarily. It's for me to follow. And that's everybody has that voice everybody we all have an intuition that inner voice that's just like when there's something major at stake it's like that voice gets a little bit louder right if there's like your life is at stake you're gonna hear that voice loud and it's gonna stop you in your tracks and I've had that happen where if I would have kept walking I would have gotten hit by a car so it was like I, I always noticed that if your life's at stake the voice gets very loud and it was like my child, my unborn child's life is at stake. So that voice got so loud and I'm so grateful I followed suit. Like I followed myself um, because ultimately now I have my son to enjoy, which I don't think I would have, it would have been a very different life. Uh, let's put it that way. I don't know if I would be speaking to you right now. Yeah, that's fantastic. But yeah, so it was a crazy spiritual experience wrapped into just even getting to my son. And I share this more now. And I have women come forward all the time that tell me they had a spiritual experience before they conceived their child too. So this happens to a lot of women because it's such a sacred event, creating a life. You're bringing this soul down to earth. Like it's just, 
you know, birth is sacred, death is sacred, life is sacred, you know, everything really is a sacred path. But um, so I guess this is just, it, it's, it's such a death and rebirth for the mother, for the father too. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, I think men shift into that father role the first time they hold their child. Like that's what I witnessed with my ex, but like, it was, it was amazing, you know? So that baby brought so much joy. Like I mentioned earlier, we have five kids and at the birth, it hits you really hard, but I know I felt it long before then. So I appreciate you. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just amazing. I think for a mother to watch and maybe for me, it was like, wow, like it was amazing to watch it and just the peace, the peaceful look come over like a father who I'm a birthing doula too. It's just amazing to watch. Like just, you know, the energy out of birth is amazing. Amazing. But the energy of death is also amazing. You know what I mean? That's also amazing. These are sacred events and it's just, it, it changes your soul. It's like a soul growth moment. So, and that's with every child too. It's not just your first, you know what I mean? I only have one, but um, I did have a miscarriage and I do know that that soul did grow because she taught me a big lesson on what like true loss is. And then my son, it's like true love. And now it's like that baby, that soul is, I'll get to hold her one day when I cross over, but she does come to me. She guides me. I've signed for her. My son knows that sign. So he knows he has a sister in heaven that will always be guiding him and protecting him. And I think that's important for kids to know that they have that protection and guidance and teach them how to listen to it too. Um, but it's just, it's life is so different after having a child. It's just, I just look at him and I feel God. I feel God's love. Like they, it brings through such pure love that that's, that's what I remember, but it's only like a snip of God's love that you're feeling. Cause like you can't even, we can't even house the amount of love that like God actually has for us. Like our bodies can't house that energy. So that's why when you have a spiritual experience and you come up out of your body, you feel it because your soul can feel it, but your body can't even handle it. Absolutely. And I appreciate you mentioning the dads as far as the birth experience and I know it's not the same yes. as for the moms, but I, but I appreciate that, that mention because it is so profound for us as well. Yes. It's, it is amazing because there, your, your, your brain is literally changing. You know what I mean? And like, it is because now you're, you, even men get more in touch with their intuition when it comes to fatherhood. You have to know what that baby needs. You know what I mean? The baby's not going to tell you. So like men become more intuitive as fathers too. Women really do because like you grew the kid, but like so do men. So it's, that's across the board. It's parenthood. It's not just motherhood. It's not just mother's intuition. Fathers have intuition too. Yeah. All right. Hey, I'm sorry to get us too far off topic here. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. It's okay. Kind of it kind of, you'll hear, it kind of molds with it. It kind of will go into a flow when I tell you my experience. Let's go back in time a few years. 
Tell us, um, I know you were a child when you had your NDE. Let's go back. Tell us what led up to it, and then we'll get into what happened. Okay. Um, So when I was 13, and this was 1995, I was diagnosed with acute lymphocytic leukemia. Um, The doctors basically said they, like, knew more about leukemia in cats at that time. Everything was very experimental, and basically I it was either going to live or die. And like, that was it, It, you know, 1995, it was, a lot of it was still experimental. So I started to undergo heavy duty chemotherapy treatments. And like nowadays they have something called like cycles where they'll, they'll do chemo for a certain amount of time and then give you a break and then do another cycle. I think that that's how it is, but I didn't have that. They literally, it was like blast my body until I almost died and stop, give me a break, do it again. It was just, it was, it was nobody's fault. It's just, we didn't have the knowledge we have now and how to treat cancer. It's just, they were doing the best they could, what they had. Um, But I was undergoing um, spinal taps and I was getting chemotherapy in these spinal taps um, because cancer cells with leukemia, it's cancer in the blood. So the cancer cells can get into the brain or spinal fluid with like the blood brain barrier. If there's, you know, the mixture of it. So they do these spinal taps where they inject chemotherapy into your spinal fluid to kill any cancer cells. Uh, so I was going through this like every week for, I don't even, it felt like months. It was horrible. I'd have bone marrow test and a spinal tap at the same time. Um, then one day I was getting ready to, have my first round of radiation to my brain um, because that's also part of the protocol to protect the brain from any cancer cells, I guess, from going to the brain. That's like their biggest thing. I think they're worried about with leukemia is, you know, it affecting the brain. So uh, I'm sitting, I'm sitting there. And first of all, they, I was in the hospital for like two months or something at this point. Um, undergoing treatments, or it felt like months. It maybe it was weeks, but it felt like a long time. And I remember I didn't even have a window looking outside. My window was facing the indoor atrium. So they had to bring me next door to get this radiation to my brain. So they, you know, took a wheelchair and they wheeled me outside. And this was at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, so they wheeled me outside of CHOP. They call it CHOP for short. Um, They wheeled me outside a chop and out into like the streets of Philadelphia. And then we came back in through um, the University of Pennsylvania Radiology Center. And I just remember when he wheeled me out, it was like, I think it was like July. And I felt the sun hit my skin, the smells, the sounds of the city. Like I've been inside for so long, just sick. And I remember really feeling that like, I don't know. So it's like, almost like I felt something was coming. I just really felt into that moment. And then they brought me inside. So, um, I was sitting there with my mom and I was just waiting. We were like, I was the next patient. Um, and my mom, she was a home health nurse or a home health aide for years. So as I'm sitting there, I, I couldn't hold my head up, like just out of nowhere, my head kept falling to the left. And then I noticed my arm went dead and then my left leg went. And I was like, I looked at my mom and said, mom, something's happening. I don't feel good. Something's wrong. And she said, my mouth was drooping 
And she thought I was having a stroke and she ran and got the nurse. They ran me over, got me back into my hospital room, into bed. And as soon as my doctor came in, he looked frightened. And like, this is because he had never seen this reaction ever before. So his look on his face, I just was like, immediately, like, am I going to die? And like, my words were slurring, but I could still speak. And he said, I don't know. And like at that time, he really didn't know. He didn't even know what was happening to me. And I just remember like that thousand yard stare, like, and everything just fades out and thinking like, this is it. Like, this is it. And I just said, okay, I wasn't afraid. And like truly after that, my left side started to come back online. It was so weird, right? So they were like, okay, like they did a swallow test to make sure I could, um, I wasn't paralyzed because like that's part of the problem. If you're paralyzed at all and, you know, you can choke because you're, you're not swallowing properly and you could choke. So they do like a swallow test and I was okay. So they gave me my lunch and I was, I, I would say it took, it was like maybe one day that that happened in. And then, so like the next day, like they gave me my lunch and I was sitting there watching stand by me with my dad. And I'll never forget that movie or song because it was like just etched into my brain from this. You can sing it if you want to. Actually, I love this song now, but it was like, talk about a trigger but it does but it's it's it was almost like an interesting um message and like you know stand by me like my father was there standing by me the whole time um and believing in me I think you know what I mean that you know I was strong enough to make it through this so I was eating my lunch and um I was went to swallow a carrot I was eating a carrot I went to swallow it and I almost choked on it I coughed it up I didn't choke but I felt like something was happening, like something's happening right now. And I was like shaky in my voice because I was so afraid of what was about to happen. And I said to my dad, it's happening again. And he said it was just mumbles and my eyes were filled with tears. And then I went unconscious, like I was out. Um, the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm like locked in my body. So I'm fully aware, but I am locked in. So I can't move. I can't communicate, but I'm fully there. Like my mind was perfectly clear. And I was just, I would just cry and cry and cry. And my parents were like, that's, you just were crying and crying and crying. I said, I said, well, what, I said, what did the doctors say about me just crying like that? And they're like, oh, they said that um, it was just, it was just um, something with, it was like a brain injury. So it was just a, it wasn't really me crying. It's just, a, I said, no, I was crying because I knew I was trapped in my body. And I mean, they went to do um, an MRI on me at one point to find out what was happening. And when they put, they put like headphones on you to, um, drown out the noise of the MRI machine because it's a loud banging. And when they put the headphones on, it was just static coming through. So I'm laying in this MRI machine, unable to communicate, unable to move. And I'm listening to static with like a brain injury. I was like losing my mind. So my dad was actually sitting in the room with me. And 
I just, I kept telling my body, move your legs, move your feet. I was like, move your feet, move your feet. And I did kind of get to wiggle. And my dad said, he saw that and he looked up, he saw tears like flowing down my face. He jumped up, started to pull me out of the machine, like pull the machine. And they stopped it and they sat me up and they brought like a, a whiteboard and a, a marker for me to say what I needed to say. And my hands were like this because it was such a severe brain injury, which I actually got, this was a contracture and I had have a contracture here from being like this and I couldn't use my hands. And I just dropped the marker and started to cry because I was like, this is life now. Like, this is going to be my life. I'm trapped in my body. That doesn't work. And you're 13 years old. How scary yeah, is at, that? At this point, I was 14 years old. So 14, still terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying that reality that I couldn't even like tell anybody that I just needed somebody to tune the radio station a little more. That's like all I needed to say. And I couldn't, and like, that just brought me to reality of this is insane, you know, but then I, I was slowly, I believe slipping deeper into like almost a coma state because then I slipped into a peaceful void. After all of that, I started to, I was, I remember having less and less memory of waking up. Then it all shifted into like just a peaceful void that I was in. Um, it was like being swallowed by the darkness. Like I was, wasn't afraid. I knew I'd be okay. And then shortly after just feeling that peaceful void, like I was like, floating in space. Like, I don't even know how to explain the feeling of just, I had gone through so much pain really and suffering because I had been through so much chemotherapy treatments that this felt like heaven, like I had no body, you know? So, but then the next thing I know, I wake up and my entire family's around my bed saying goodbye to me. Like I'd already had my last rites read to me. My like literally my entire family, like extended family, like we have a big family. So like grandparents, well, I say grandparents, my grandmothers, my grandfathers were in spirits there because they are both passed away already. So they were there. It was just everybody was there because they said I was dying and like hence the last rites. So when I woke up, I remember I couldn't speak, but I was very unaware of what I looked like. I was very unaware of my body, but I remember knowing I was in the hospital because I was in the hospital before I even slipped into this state. Remember? So like, I guess I just know I was in the hospital, but I was like, what are they giving me? And I'm like, I look up at my pole and there's nothing but saline. And my parents said they wouldn't give me anything because they didn't even know where I was. Like they didn't want to make it harder for me to wake up by giving me sedatives or painkillers. Like, so I had nothing. And I, I was just, I felt like I just woke up from like a really big sleep or something. I was just kind of confused. And I was just like, what the hell? So <laughs> I came through it though. Like I woke up and sure enough, like slowly, but surely like my speech came back. I was able to walk and talk again it took some work, but I made a full recovery. And the doctor said that that was a miracle because there was only, I think, eight cases in the world at that point, And they called it leukodystrophy. So now it's called methotrexate induced leukoencephalopathy. 
So it's basically like the chemotherapy is destroying the brain. It's attacking the brain or just, I, I'm just, and like, honestly, after that, I was not afraid of death at all, but I was also in palliative care and in palliative care and hospice and stuff, they help you to embrace death. So it was almost like I had this experience and then I came back to my teachers. <laughs> like, so it was the medical staff that taught me like a lot of what I know and I've used throughout my life, um, you know, with meditation or mindfulness or whatever, just because of the trauma I'd been through. It's like they wanted me to, to learn this stuff. And that's part of it, like coming out of a near-death experience is, you know, you have a big mission, but you have to find out what that mission is. And I mean, the biggest mission is spreading love, you know, to everybody, like love everybody. That's, you know what I mean? But love yourself too. So like, there's gotta be boundaries there. Let's go back just a little bit. Tell me more about this. You call it a void. Okay. Tell me more about what that was. What did you, did you see anything? What did you feel? Why do you call it a void? Um, I didn't see anything. I did definitely feel the love. I felt it. I was at peace. I was absolutely at peace in this place. Um, I call it a void only because I, in seven years ago, when I started to um, go through this spiritual tr transformed event is where I was led to these near-death experience groups. And that's when I started to read these experiences and I found a bunch of the void and I'm like, that's where I was. That's where I was. And I could never explain to anybody where I was, I, I just was awake in the dark. I know I was awake and aware in the dark. And, and also, the, I was dying. Yeah. You know, I, I always call it the void because I actually learned that from the groups that I found. <laughs> Tell me more about this love that you felt. Uh, it, where do you think it was coming from and what did it feel like? There's no really words that can describe the love because it's just, it's more peace than you would ever imagine. Like, and it's, it is hard to actually like remember being there and then come back to earth, experiencing that. And then coming back to earth where lately love is like scarce, you know, it's like you, I miss that place. And you would think is, wouldn't the dark be scary? But like, no, it was not scary at all. What I believe it was, was I was, just didn't get to that tunnel yet. I was like really in between both, you know, and I don't believe I chose to come back. I think it just, my time, it was not my time yet. That was it. Simple. And, and then having my son, I realized why I didn't die. Like he was the reason I came back, but yeah, I, when I was in the void, it was anything but scary and like, even to this day, I will hmm. black out my whole room and just lay there. That's interesting. And just try to remember what it felt like, just to have a little piece of that. And a lot of NDers, if they saw the light, they love like, like start like, you know, sun gazing and stuff like I do that too. Um, but the light for me is being a mother on earth. Like this is my heaven on earth. I've created my heaven on earth just by having my son. 
So I know I was meant to come back to have him, you know, like that was my biggest mission just to teach him and to carry on certain, certain practices and stuff. It's, it's, but yeah, in the void, I didn't see anything. I felt that's what I, and when I came back, actually my, my, um, clear sentience is like very strong. Like my feelings, like if I have a gut feeling, I'm like, it, I never ignore it because it's always right. But it's interesting. Cause like, I, I don't know if that it made it stronger that I was just feeling, I was like just feeling everything and not really seeing the light, but feeling the light, feeling the love. Like, sure. Well, that can be just as strong as in a lot of ways, stronger than what you see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if I, I believe it really was, I just, it wasn't my time and I just didn't quite, I think I kept trying to wake up. Like I kept fighting. So I think I just, it was like, I came back. I just came back fully because I was mm. fighting for it and you have to fight for it. Like, right. That was not easy to <laughs> come back from that and have to like my body has damage from that to this day. It's not like I came back to a perfectly healed body. No, no, no. And I saw it go through more chemotherapy treatments, which messed me up more, but I didn't have like any more like near death experiences. I'll tell you what though. I had so many doctors coming in looking at me like, what the hell are you? <laughs> because they'd never seen that before. Like they'd never seen somebody just come out of the state that I was in, like, and just wake up. Yeah. Yeah. You were gone. I mean, they had called your family and said, come say goodbye. Cause I had my last right thread. So I was like, wait a minute. So like, if I die again, am I going to have my last, last right thread? Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. How do you undo that? I don't, I don't know how that works. And the crazy part, I, I blocked that out for 20 years. I blocked out the whole experience because it was so traumatic. That's childhood trauma. That's what you do. That's very typical. I hear that from a lot of experiencers that I talk to. Right. Is they, right. they either block it for a long time and or it comes back kind of gradually. Yep. And little pieces of it are coming back. Like, I think it's just what spirits like what, whatever you can handle. They are bringing the memories back when you need to, you need them the most. That's how I looked at it. And they often don't talk about it for a long time. And it sounds like you were in that situation too. Yeah. I, I never, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know it was even a big deal. Like I was a kid. So I was like, eh, whatever, you know, like. This just happened and it just, and it just happens to people. Yeah. When I became a nurse, I realized how much I actually was very lucky. Like come out of it the way I did how did this experience take away your fear of death it completely vanished to the point where in my early 20s I worked as an autopsy assistant with the county medical examiner so and and mind you I did not even remember what I'd been through but I just knew in my heart that those souls were in a better place and this was just their vessel and they're in a better place, even though sometimes you could feel a presence there in the autopsy suite because the soul's still trying to process what actually happened because a lot of those autopsies were homicides, suicides, overdoses. Like, so there's a bit of soul confusion at first when it's a traumatic death like that. And the soul is like trying to like, wait, am I dead? Like, it doesn't 
like the soul is like, am, am I, it's confused. So am I sleeping? Is this a dream? Am I dead? Like that's, and, and that's, it sounds kind of scary, but like once you go, okay. And there is guidance with you at that time. So you're not alone when your soul's coming to, if, if it ends like that, like if it's a, a quick traumatic death and people are just confused, but it takes, that's, these autopsies are done within the first 24 hours. I would say it takes maybe three earth days, fully understands and goes into the light. But, you know, some souls want closure, so they want to be at their funeral. And if you ask funeral directors, they'll say that they feel the presence of souls all the time there. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I'd be alone with the body. Most of the time, I'm the one who's setting up. I have the body on the table. The doctors come in. I did all the work. And, like, the doctor took the pieces of the, you know, it was called grossing. But um, it was a crazy job. But... I never even thought about the fact that like I almost died. I knew I had cancer. I knew I went through chemo. I didn't really even understand why my elbows had these contractures. I just blew it all off. And so like to end up working in that field without really remembering what I went through is interesting to me. I've been led back to death so many times. And now in my nursing career, I'm going for a hospice position. So I'm always led back to death because I'm not afraid of it. And if I can help somebody transition into the next phase of life peacefully by telling my story or by holding their hands and letting them know that where they're about to go is amazing. And just to let go that it's okay to let go. Cause I've had a couple hospice patients and sometimes they just need to be told that it's okay to let go. And then they go. And that's a great blessing at that time. In one of our recent episodes of this podcast, I read a piece from Ions that was talking about um, if we are the loved one of somebody that's had an NDE, what can we do to help them? Because they're going through something that can be um, you know, mentally and psychologically very difficult to process. And you mentioned that you have connected with a lot of other people that have had near-death experiences. Tell us how that how that started to happen and what that's done for you and for them. My father has always helped me to believe in myself. So I was blessed in that sense that if there was something that I felt like, um, you know, I would say to him, well, then maybe that's the reason that I survived. And he'd say, yeah, I think so too. You know, like just like if I would come to him with anything, it was never shot down or made not to believe in myself. If anything, it was believe in yourself above and beyond all. And like, you know, so I had a lot of guidance. My family was always pretty good with it. I never got it. We were it wasn't like I was told that it was a fake experience. And, oh, you're you know, they knew what I went through. I think it was kind of a shared experience. We, I don't even think we went back to church after that, actually. I had a big prayer chain going when I was in that state. And I do believe that the prayers helped for sure. But it was interesting. Like, we just never really went back to church after that because I think we just saw God at the bedside. We knew God was with us wherever we were. You don't necessarily have to be in a building to feel God. You know what I mean? Actually, I like to go out in nature to feel God. But, you know, um, so I've always been pretty supported. And I think that's why I'm 
very open about my experiences and stuff. Tell me how it's helped to meet some other near-death experiencers. Oh, when I started, it was about seven years ago when I started to really process what happened to me. And and I was very heavily guided to near-death experience groups. And I have made some connections in these groups where it's above and beyond a physical realm thing. Like soul sisters, you know what I mean? Like soul brothers, like part of my soul families. I, I believe that I have met through these groups. And um, it's just a whole nother, because I could talk to them in like, if I just let myself run real deep into things, people just stop and they're like, you're weird. You know, like I just don't get understood very well, I think. And when I could just like let it loose with my near death experience friends, it's just heartwarming. And I feel like, Oh, like I found my people, you know what I mean? That understand what life is like after that. You have a lot of weird stuff happen. And like people witness the weird things that happen to me and they're weirded out by the weird things that happen to me because it's weird. It's just, that's life after these experiences. And there's no answers for that. There's no, no logic can't explain it, but I know it's real. So that's all I need to know. Tell me what one of those weird experiences is. Well, the whole thing where I was like, I, I think I'm, I know I'm going to be pregnant soon. Like I was actually told one of my doctors, if I'm not pregnant now, I'm going to be soon. Within two months, I was pregnant. And he was like, the hell? <laughs> I, I felt it, you know? And like my parents saw that. My parents were the ones who said, Jennifer, if there's one person you know the best, it's yourself. Listen to yourself. So I did. So that's where that guidance from my parents is major. You know, like they have they have taught me to trust myself. And it did. It saved my son's life. But the weird experience was like I kept telling people I feel him like I see him. I'm having like a vision of him. And it was crazy because the vision I had was actually his 19 week um, sonogram. And I was having a scan or something and I saw him on the screen and I looked over at the tech and I'm like, she ain't seeing this. I'm like, this is definitely not here. I knew it wasn't here. I just was like, he's coming. Like this baby is coming. And sure enough, like that, um, even my husband at the time had a sign and he noticed and he's not into any of that. And I was like, oh, this baby's going to be here soon. And within like two months, I was pregnant. So that was weird. Like that I have this knowing of what is about to happen. And I, I cannot steer away from the knowing. It's so loud. Like, and that's the thing when I have to follow my intuition. Like, that's it. That's why, like, I, I do a lot of like spiritual work. I work alone a lot, but it's also, you got to also know when to get out there and, and be with others and, and, you know, community wise, like spiritually, but I work alone a lot because I have to follow my intuition, like wherever it leads me. There aren't very many teenagers that have an experience like you did. How do you think this has made your life different compared to if you had not had the experience? If anything, anybody who ever like met me will tell you I'm like full of life, mainly because also back then, my doctors were like, well, you, you could live another 20 years. And like 20 years was a long time back then. So I thought in my brain, 
I only had 20 years because that's how kids' brains work. They don't think in the same way as adults. So it's like they take real, they think everything you're saying is real. So I thought I had 20 years to live. So I just lived it up. I loved life, but I always stayed in the light. So we all, when we're younger, we have opportunities that could bring us down a really bad path. And like every time something arose like that in my life, I could see where it would go and it would be bad. And I just stayed on the right path. So um, if I never had the near-death experience, maybe I would have gone down those bad paths. Maybe I wouldn't have stayed in the light, you know? And that's the thing with like um, parallel realities is that's all happening. All of those things are happening at once. So like in one reality, I did go down that path. But in this reality, I'm on the right path. I will remain on the right path. And that is because I finally got to my son. So staying on the right path did actually bring me to my son because I listened to my intuition to get there. So um, honestly, if I didn't have my near-death experience, I'm not sure if I'd be alive still. Like, I really, I really don't know. It, it could be... It could have been bad, you know, but that's anybody, you know, when you're in your 20s, sometimes you make the biggest mistakes of your life. You know what I mean? Because technically your brain's still growing and you're not fully thinking about your future, right? Because the brain doesn't stop growing until 25 years old, sometimes older for people. Like, who knows that? You know what I mean? So you make big mistakes in your 20s and then in your 30s, you like fix your mistakes. But Honestly, if I didn't have a near-death experience, I don't really know. I really, I don't think I'd have my son. And I probably wouldn't even be here, to be quite honest. You've mentioned a lot about following that voice. Lots of other people are either not hearing their voice or they don't know how to follow it. I think maybe we tune it out after a long time. How would you recommend that people, first of all, hear it and then really listen to it and follow it? Um, I always recommend meditation. A lot of people will say, I can't quiet my mind. It's not about quieting your mind. It's about like rising above it, right? So you're listening, you're watching your thoughts basically, and you're in control. So that's what happens when you meditate. You become more of an observer. You become more intuitive when you meditate because first of all, it is making changes, new connections in your brain. And, um, you know, and then you can just pay attention. But it's a lot of people say, I, I don't know how to meditate. But like, you have to practice meditating. You know, like go do guided meditations. You can look up anything on YouTube. I have some guided meditations even on my Mystical Lama page. And I do them out um, at the park, the local park. So it's like bringing through the energy of that park too. You know, the peacefulness of the park or the land. Um but yeah, connecting with the earth too, barefoot, like that's scientifically proven to help your, your nervous system. So basically it's about helping your body to relax, but like checking in with your body. So really, if you just focus on your breath, that puts you into a meditative state, right? So people think too much about meditation and shoot it down before they try it. But then if they try it, they're like, wow. And if like you keep up with a, a meditation practice, like say you go to the gym 
you know, every day or four times a week. If you did that meditation like that, you would be more intuitive. You'd hear the voice. It would be louder. It'd be clearer. And you would know what to listen to and what to hear. Like your ego is more of a judgy, you know, it's not that nice. Your ego can be not that nice. Your intuition sounds like a motherly voice guiding you, a loving voice, a peaceful voice. You know, it's not going to come at you like, you know, scared to scare you or anything. Like sometimes your ego can do, ego can kind of make things worse. But intuition, I would say, is that loving motherly voice that's within that we all hear. We all have it. So it's just really, it's about connecting with the earth too. Because then you become a better channel. So when you meditate, you know, your energy system is all aligned. If, you know, if you're aligning your energy, if you meditate and you connect with the earth and you set the intention to be a full channel of light for like, you're bringing heavens down to earth, like you're a channel. Um, you can do that. Anybody can do that. It's all with intention. So it's, I think it's just people are not being guided right now. There's not enough um, spiritual guides and teachers right now for this huge shift. So people are a little confused on like what to do. So sometimes you just end up not doing anything. When you're more in alignment with your intuition, you're happier. You're more at peace with things, you know? Um, So just for that alone, it's worth the effort to put into trying to learn how to meditate and, and making time for these practices, just like you make time to brush your teeth or shower. It, it really, your spiritual health, that, what's need, that is what needs focus right now is like people's spiritual health. All right. We're going to put your contact info in the show notes in case people want to get a hold of you for anything. I want to ask you one last thing if you if you have something to share on this topic, and that is for other people that have had near-death experiences, many of them have not talked about it. Right. And and they don't have to talk about it in this public of a forum. They may want to start with a couple of loved ones around them, or or they may find it good and therapeutic to go to this kind of a forum. Yeah, for sure. What would you say to them as far as how helpful it may or may not be to talk about their experience? Um, I would say like this, this is the time um, to talk about it. So I think that the, all of us were brought back for this time. So we are here to explain and help people understand that like, this is not it. You have a very short time on earth, but like sharing these NDEs helps people to understand that Death is nothing to fear, you know, and like how to fully embrace life and love life because, you know, it is a sacred journey. So like for NDEers years who may be afraid to come forward because they're going to get judged, like I feel that too. Sometimes I lay low because people do come out of the woodwork, but for every person who's going to shoot you down or tear you apart there's a hundred more people that you're helping by just sharing your experience so just the people who the haters ignore them because ultimately we were brought back to share our experiences to help people in whatever way that sharing the experience will help them you know so um 
and you do, it, it's good to, it's, it's a therapeutic too, to speak about it. And really, you know, when you talk about it more, it's like you kind of pull, it helps to heal the trauma by sharing, especially if you're helping others, like you're doing it with the intention of helping others, which that's usually the intention for people who share these experiences. It is because there's a lot of people in these groups that come at that are grieving and they want to know where their loved one is. Is there, are they okay? Are they with me? And like, yeah, all of that. Yes. You know, so us sharing it, especially at this time is very important, but you know, also follow your intuition and know when the right time is to share it. You'll know. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks for being on the show with us today. Thank you so much. I had a great time. If you've had a round-trip death experience and would like to share it with us, we would love to hear from you. Send an email to me, eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you've found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, rate us five stars, and be sure to visit roundtripdeath.com. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.